Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show, we have Amrita Subaranian, who is an instructor at the University of Pennsylvania, where she works closely with the Wharton School of Business, Penn Medicine, Penn Law, and Penn Engineering. In a previous role, she served as the Vice President of Global Strategic Talent Development at HSBC. Thank you so much for joining us today, Amrita. Well, Matt, thank you. What wonderful times we are living in. Thank you for having me here. Well, crazy times indeed. And I want to kick off by talking about one of your teaching areas, um, which focuses on what you describe as the conscience of an organization. So I really can't think of a better place to start than to start there. Can you share a bit about what you mean by the conscience of an organization? Well, fabulous question. I think we are quite battling it nowadays uh, with ourselves because we have nowhere to go. So we have to quietly confront the thing that we call conscience, the sense of um, the golden path, if you will, the right and the wrong. And where are we? So, for instance, in an organization that we consider is a medley of fantastically intelligent and kind human beings, um, what is it that we are doing right to fulfill the purpose of what we came together? I mean, usually, you know, it's something very practical. Let's create more wealth, more jobs. Um, but there is also a purpose inherently defined. And um, when we are in an organization, irrespective of what you do, for profit, not for profit, there is always a sense of collective identity. And this collective identity together forms your values, your morality, and all of these uh, that we call under the iceberg or um, the most invisible sense of truth that an organization has is, is the conscience. And uh, they all have reflections of it as individuals, as members of the organization, we have a sense of it. Sometimes the conscience is in perfect resonance with my own individual and sometimes it is not. But for now, I will pause there to say it's a sense of a collective, a collective internal GPS, if you will, of uh, are we doing right? Are we doing right by what we said we would, whether it's a promise to those we serve, the communities we are located in, the ecosystem that we operate in, um, or to the purpose and the way of operating in today's world. I love that. I love the kind of the conceptual image that I got of kind of an internal um, GPS. So if we are going to be leaders of these types of organizations that, that we aspire to maybe be a part of, what is your impression of what a future leader um, needs to do in order to embrace that and really bring it to its full fruition? Ah, splendid question, uh, Matt. Splendid question. And, and um, a key one, too. Um, you see, th th whatever I say and whatever we are having a conversation is not going to be outside of the context of the times we live in. Now, in today's time, if I have to truly think as to what a leader must learn and therefore carry into the future, I'm going to choose very carefully the word kindness. And I choose this with much deliberation. You see, this is not a hashtag be kind, be you, and you know, Twitter kind of things. This is based on absolute research, which looks at emotional regulation and our ability to be intelligent about our emotions and using emotions intelligently. The reason is the nature of work is changing and it has rapidly, our, our, our crises 
completely shatter the assumptions that we have of the world we live in, of the way we'll operate. We went online in a snap. Our relationships, our trust, our, our sense of this is how I sense my reality, everything went hyper real overnight. And in that moment, how do I regulate my inner self? Um, because my emotions are directly dependent. And then, you know, you can trust the uh, behavioral ec economists and psychologists when they say that micro decisions are deeply reflective of the state of an emotional regulation of a person. So if you look at the work of, of Dr. Sigal Barset, you know, it's a shout out to her, but there is a limbic resonance that a leader creates. And when I'm, a, able to regulate my emotions. I'm able to be sane. Sanity is a rare commodity nowadays. It's very hard to know, you know, who is intelligent and are we really intelligent? Especially if television is your third inner eye, then critical thinking has clearly left the door. Um, so for a leader, it, it is to bring sanity into the system. And the sanity is for purpose of what? And this goes back to the conscience. Sanity is to, is to create a sense of space. And kindness does that. It regulates fear. It regulates anxiety. It regulates alienation. It regulates isolation. Um, and much of the virtual world is that. I mean, if you take off your VR glasses, you are alone. Um, if you take off your headphones from the Zoom, you are alone. And if you're not alone outside the windows or the frames of the hyper real world, you know, it's your family, the roles that we play, moms and dads and brothers and sisters. And you either all scrunched into four walls or you are operating your, you know, million dollar business or a few hundred dollars or a thousand dollar business from this virtual window. The best thing you can do is create a choice and a choice that is without fear will be a sane choice. And that will include the impact impact on the other and these are the times that we truly have to look at how interdependent we are nothing that you do is untouched the complexity of our times requires us to be exceptionally mindful and being kind because what you do is you bring out the kindness in others and chances are that we will ascend a positive contagion rather than a negative contagion mm -hmm. i'm going to pause there I, lo I love the, the bring out the kindness and, and I want to jump back into to what you've done, but I want to take a pause there and I want to ask more, on a more personal level, you know, you focus a lot on developing others and talking from a consultative perspective about how organizations can evolve. Um, when you have to take time out from the day job and focus on your own personal development or your own talent development as an individual where do you turn or where do you spend your time or where do you try to focus um, for yourself? What a wonderful question. Um, so, you know, stilling myself, um, bringing the calm in. I am particularly fond of silence, really. Um, and uh, long walks in the woods um, is my usual go-to. And if it's not so, um, I do rely a lot on the tested wisdom uh, of which I mean losing myself behind a stack of library books um, is, is how I see myself really recouping. But I love to cook. Um, I, I have fascination for cuisines. I've lived in 17 countries and, you know, those recipes and spices stay with me and now I have my new world fusion cuisine. Alas, I'm alone. So I have to kind of invite friends over so that I can get a chance to cook. But really, um, spending time by myself uh, and I am a massive introvert so 
it helps to recoup myself this way because being out there uh, takes a lot of energy. So yeah, <laughs> replenishing myself is priority. <laughs> All right, so that, that prompted a ton of questions for me and living in 17 countries, if, if you had to boil down um, one moment from your past that really brought you to um, the realization that you wanted to, to play, have academia play a role in your life, was there a turning point um, that put you on this journey? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And in fact, you know, we, we are inferential beings. We're always making sense of our, of our lives. And, you know, irrespective of whether we're making the right or the wrong sense, but we are trying to make sense the best we can. Um, when I look back, I think the whole episode of the global recession and the money laundering did me in. Uh, I was left uh, witless. I had really drunk the Kool-Aid and I really believed in the organization I was aligned with. And I couldn't believe the paradox that a sane person could be a part of something and just not see it coming or, or somehow uh, in an explicable way as when you are as an employee of a firm that is too big for your mind to comprehend, quite like a universe unto itself, um, that you think that, no, you know, how, how did this happen? How did this come to be? How did so many families lose job? And then you see the blood mark uh, left on families and kids and generations for this. You know, recession is not bloodless. Um, so I wanted to study the paradox of corruption and uh, morality and, you know, how do we lose our sense? How is it so easy to lose our connect with the conscience of the organization? Do smashing places to work and golden handcuffs be enough to just gloss the other way? So it's almost like asking if there's a huge forest and a tree, and it's a forest of truth, say, inside your head, you know, that's a subconscious uh, metaphor, say, and there is a and in that forest of, say, redwood trees, giant redwood trees of truth, a tree falls and there is no one to hear it. Does that mean the crash is not heard by anyone? Here's what I, I love about your perspective is you have the um, rooted in spending time in the corporate world, corporate America, but you also have this new perspective. If you were going to embark on creating a brand new company, um, you know, two to three people that you hope to grow to a larger group, what would be some of the decisions that you would make very early on from a cultural perspective? And how do you think an organizational, organization's culture can grow or can efficiently become um, maybe an asset and not a liability when times do get tough? Well, you know, Matt, I invite you to flip that on its head and ask what is really um, the point of existing? What's the point of existing? It's you exist only in relation to a purpose you serve, if that's the lens you take. And for me, uh, the question of impact and purpose is extremely important because as human beings, we are fond of one thing, that is our freedom our sense of freedom, our sense of being what we can, and potential is the biggest burden we carry. So if, if there was a firm uh, that was to come together, it would be about being human and those few individuals who would be here, uh, the cornerstone would be at each point to say, are we being human about whatever it is that we need to do, you know, in the business of living and the, the business of taking care of business and when all of that jazz, the first thing is, uh, to humanize. In fact, I would name the company Etre Human, uh, to be human. That's the raison d'etre of the mind. What's the point of a mind if it's not to create 
uh, more humanness in us and how can we be forgetting who we are? So really, you know, uh, the tactical details would be, you know, what do I want to do? Uh, how is it that I want to do it? Etc. Etc. Task terms process. You know, that's the that's the agita. You know, let me just have a very, very structured way, but let me just completely be blind to the process of it. So, um, if the process is astutely taken care of, embedded deeply into the human values of your being, whoever those three individuals, two individuals, whoever that group is, high chances are the truth would not go amiss. High chances are the culture itself would create uh, 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 sort of its own checks and balances. There's a huge organic complexity that truth brings. But again, this is a hypothetical question. Two, three individual versus 200,000, 300,000, the math and the scaling becomes very different. And this circles back to our first, uh, you know, very interesting point uh, that you shared, Matt, is, you know, what would the leader carry into the future? It is this massive collective regulation of the emotion and the limbic resonance that you want to create. So that at a, whether you're two or three or whether you're 200,000 or 300,000, the neural mimicry of honesty and truth stays. The ability to dissent stays. The ability to entertain an opposite point of view without you know, losing our wits about it stays. The ability to infer uh, the most unimaginable possibilities uh, because you want to serve your purpose stays. Uh, and nothing is about just being nice. You know, confrontation or, or conflict, which is usually, you know, what we suppress deep, bury it deep, never face the demon. Uh, ideally should, um, I correct myself. I think it, the fact that we are alive is a way of aggression. But if you notice the word aggression, it's, it's, it's considered to be very negative. But truth is aggressive. Your inner truth, your inner conviction has a certain life force that is, that is made of you and you are made of your truths. So what choices would you make in an organization? Would you be uh, uh, a consequence as some aggregate of the choices you avoided or the choices you made? And that collective internal GPS navigation, you cannot do it for everyone, but everyone will naturally do it uh, if the organization understands that the cornerstone is about being human. Because, you know, human beings are, are very honest at its core, very, very honest. It's as we go through our socialization that we are taught to be wonderful liars. You know, there is, there is motivation ever since we are kids to, to avoid pain and gain pleasure. And if that means a little bit of deception, telling mommy I didn't have the cookie, very early on we are, we are kind of... Uh, trained in the art of being masterful deceptions, even to ourselves. The more intelligent we are, the, the wonderful masters of self-deceptions we have. So circling back to the point, I think uh, being human and uh, having leaders that create that emotional regulation, because that is the only place, once I'm safe and sane, then I can do so many things with the multiple intelligences I have as a human. So in that vein of truth and moving towards it and all of the wonderful things that you just shared, do you see in your work um, a commonly held belief about what does it take to develop the leaders of tomorrow that maybe you just fundamentally disagree with or you think that we're over-indexing in one area and we should potentially be moving our focus somewhere else? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I could go on an hour's rant for that, which wouldn't be very pleasant. Um, 
primarily, I think we undermine a person's internal sense of convictions and morals. And we play too much emphasis on playing by the company line. And, you know, the company usually sponsors this and uh, there is a sense of, oh, we'll grow you and we'll develop you. But what is never really taken into account is, you know, where is the person's truest passion lie? And it's not that, you know, all our passions would be economically satisfying, uh, but there is somewhere with the balance of work and the work that gives you a sense of purpose. And I'm kind of calling to action or sort of my war cry is to simply ask these fabulously talented human beings uh, who have decided to align themselves and trust their careers to an organization, are you truly testing their potential for everything? I know we have these, this sort of the Tayloristic approach of, you know, this is the organization, it has a structure, matrix, you know, fancy open cubicle or no cubicle or what have you. The point remains there is always a hierarchy, there is always a pegging order, and there is always uh, the scheme of, you know, the power sequence, where you are in relation to what. And how much power do you have truly to influence your own career or own growth? Those questions are, are often um, hidden hidden or glossed over and so when i have people you know sitting in the warden class or org organizational dynamics where i'm teaching for the masters goes you know i often ask them what, what do you know why you're here are you here because you know it's, it's the tuition thing and in you know you're, you're sort of somewhere on top of the nine box or are you here because there is a sense of freedom in what you're about to learn are you choosing your knowledge and i think that one question we somehow never afford our most talented what do you wish to put your experience and your knowledge to true use to? Uh, is it to foster more and more and more profit? Perhaps that is the case. Or is it for more purpose? Those choices are not afforded to us um, in the current scheme of things. And uh, there is no pause, you know? There is no pause in our lives to truly have that conversation because it can be extremely unsettling. It can prove that uh, some of the terrible compromises that we've made with ourselves. So we kind of just carry on, yes, um, have a beer, forget about it. Um, but I think we need to completely relook at how we look at the most talented because our most talented are not meant to be squeezed. Our most talented are meant to explode as stars. Um, when I say explode as stars, I mean it as a, you know, like meteoric career rise. Um, and we have, to, we have to ask as organizations that if, if you're a nebula and you have these stars that you have identified would be these giant potential for, you, for, your, for your organization or for themselves, then is the right way to nurture them with your fixed idea of learning? Hmm. I, I absolutely love the, the concept of choosing your knowledge, choosing your learning, making it a really approachable, you are making this decision um, to be here. So thank you for, for sharing that. And um, unfortunately, I'm going to have to shift to our final um, two questions, which we pitch as um, rapid fire questions. So are, okay. you, are you ready for our little rapid fire round that we have here? Oh, well, I have my bourbon right here. So go on. Okay, there we go. <laughs> if you could describe your own personal leadership style in one word, what would it be? Kindness. Kindness? Okay, I love it. And the last rapid fire question is this. What is the best um, piece of advice that you have ever received? When you go in search of your better self, 
you will not immediately find it. The inner prosperity takes a while to show up, but don't give up. Mm, I love that sentiment to, uh, to leave us with. And, and thank you so much for joining us today. Where can our listeners um, find out more about you or get in touch? Well, I think LinkedIn would be the best place to find me. Um, I have kind of a spectacularly long name. So I'm Rita Subramanian. You would find me uh, in UPenn pages as well for organizational dynamics. Well, thank you so much for the great insight. And listeners, if you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. And we truly appreciate it if you could share this show um, with your network. You can find me on social media at Matthew Confer, and you can find our organization, Ability, that is A-B-I-L-I-T-I-E at Ability.com, where we will have full show notes for this episode and all of the other episodes. We've absolutely loved the feedback. And if you're interested in getting in touch, please send us an email at hello at ability.com and be sure to subscribe so that you get our next episode. And I want to thank all of you for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast.